You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We live in a crazy world, don't we? Live in a bit of a crazy world. We've got wars, we've got rumors of wars, we've got terrorism, we've got horrible things that happen. And at times we wonder, like, how do we reconcile all of that with a sovereign God? I know a kid who was in my youth group and uh, was in the shooting at Columbine High School. And this guy grew up in church. He knew the truth about God. He knew that God existed. He knew that God was sovereign. But when he went through that difficult experience, when he went through that tragedy, when he ran for his life from the cafeteria as his own classmates were coming in throwing pipe bombs and shooting, as he ran from that, and as he processed that experience afterwards, he simply couldn't reconcile that God would be all sovereign, and yet evil things like that, really bad things, would happen in the world. And so he walked away from church. I know a girl who has a brilliant scientific mind. She's studying biological computations. I don't even know what that is. But she grew up in church hearing the truth, but it was the kind of church where she wasn't allowed to ask good questions. And so she kind of came to the conclusion that the church doesn't think about science. And so she walked away from the church. I know a young adult who grew tired of sitting in church every week with his folks and, and hearing about doing good and making the impact in the world and the impact in their neighborhood, but never going and doing anything. His, his parents always sat and listened, and watched, and stood and sang, but then they sat back down, but they never did anything to make a difference in their community, and so he walked away from the church to make a difference in his neighborhood. Here's the trouble. When you talk to people about Jesus, when I talk to people about Jesus, when you talk to your son or your daughter, when you talk to a coworker or a friend, when you walk with different people through the ups and downs of life, here's the trouble. As a teacher or as a parent or as a pastor or even as a friend, in order to get to people to respond to truth, it's easy to remove other truths that actually support it. So sometimes we want people to respond to the truth, but in doing so, we might remove other truths that actually support that foundational truth. Now, everybody in the room, when you came in today, you got a rubber band on your way in, right? Why don't you take that out? You got a rubber band. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that rubber band. I want you to just crumple it up in your hand. I want you to throw it at the person next to you. Okay, no, really, don't do that because it wouldn't do anything, right? What I really want you to do is take the rubber band, put it between your fingers, wrap it around like this, and put it on the arm of the person next to you and just let them have it. No, 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 okay, don't do that. Don't do that. You get the point, right? A rubber band works when there's tension involved. A rubber band works. Have you ever tried to put a rubber band on something and it was too big, the rubber band was too big for the item and it would just fall off? So you had to like double it up, right? You'd like double it over and then maybe because you put tension on there, it would hold whatever you're trying to get held. And, and that's the nature of a rubber band. A rubber band works when there's tension. So hang on to your rubber band. You're going to need it a little bit later, but I'm going to shoot mine out in the audience somewhere. So right out there. Awesome. Take your pro out of your program, take your sermon outline out. We're going to walk through some things today that I think you will find foundational in your life. When we look at a rubber band, we understand this principle, but this principle applies beyond a rubber band. It's the issue of tension. And on your outline, you'll notice there's a statement there, and it says this, when you remove the tension, you remove the energy. When you remove the tension, you remove the energy. 
And then when you remove the tension, you remove the influence. Or when you remove the tension, you diminish the truth. And again, I want you to understand that there's a trouble, that in order to get people to respond to what's true, sometimes we remove other truths that actually support it. I know churches that say this. They're just like, hey, well, God just said so, so you just need to believe it. And like, you're never allowed to ask good questions. I know places where you're just not allowed to ask good questions, whether it's a church, they feel like it's a threat to foundational truths. I know parents who, out of fear for shaking their kids' belief, won't wade into conversations about sexuality or won't walk into conversations about science with their kids. I know churches who actually have split over the issue of evangelism or discipleship. Some of you are newer, you might not realize, what is evangelism, what is discipleship? Evangelism is telling the good news about Jesus to the furthest out person, the person who needs Jesus the most, they just need him so much, and it's just telling the good news about Jesus. The discipleship is, is growing those who actually already have responded to the evangelism about Jesus, and there are churches who have split over that. We need to be more evangelical. We need to disciple our people, and they've split over it, and now you have two churches And each one of those churches is actually missing something. Something's changed. What happened? They removed the tension between evangelism and discipleship. They removed the tension. Some of you in this room, you're like, I just want the word. I just want the word. It's all about the word of God. And and you want that. And that's so critically important. Others of you are like, we just need to care for people. We just need to care no matter what. And that's so critical to you. And I know churches that have split over that issue. And so you have a church that literally will love each other to death. And you have people who are just all about the world, uh, all about the word. And they may not care for people much at all. When you remove the tension, each church would miss something, wouldn't they? They split. And then they're missing something. And somewhere along the line, it might not be a church, but in your head or in your heart, we begin to do that with certain truths that we're going to talk about. What's more important to win games? Offense or defense? Trick question, right? It's both. And the coaches that do the best take their offensive players and their defensive players and they manage the tension between the two. They dictate what does the game dictate right now for us to win. We're going to either need sometimes to be more on the side of defense, other times more on the side of offense. Both are needed. The coaches that do well are the ones who can manage the tension. God uses tension to help you and I understand him in a bigger way. You say, why are these hard things happening in my life? We are hurting right now. Why are these difficult things happening? And God uses pain oftentimes as the megaphone to challenge your belief, to get you to grow from where you are to where you're headed. And so what happens is God uses tension in life to help us understand him in a much bigger way instead of putting God in a little box. You need the tension. But there's a reason that we don't like tension. How many of you in this room, you don't like conflict? don't like conflict, you don't like you feel like there's tension between you and somebody else, and, and you don't like that. Well, there's also reasons we don't like tension in beliefs. We don't like tension because we think it threatens what is true, but it doesn't. Truth is truth. It's not threatened by attention. We think that it waters down what is true, but it doesn't. We think tension competes with what is true, but it doesn't. Think about this. The mercy of God doesn't diminish the justice of God. It amplifies it. 
Please understand that the mercy of God, to have mercy on us, his grace, and here's his justice, but his justice didn't change. It stayed strong. Nothing's going to happen with justice. It's going to be there. That's God's nature. But his mercy actually amplifies the justice in that God was willing to take the justice for our sin upon himself. It amplifies it. Mercy doesn't water down justice. It amplifies it. Works don't water down the grace of God. We are not saved because we do good works, but good works are the natural amplification of someone who has received God's free grace. That's what we do. They Works actually amplify it. You're not earning your way to heaven. You receive new life in Christ. And the natural result out of that, the amplification of it is that we do good. Love doesn't mute the law. It amplifies it. Christ gives us the law. God gives us the law in the Old Testament. His love in the New Testament simply is amplifying what we see in the condition of the law of the Old Testament. So sometimes, pick this out on your outline, sometimes a truth can lose clarity when it's divorced from other truths that amplify it. Both are needed. A truth can lose clarity when it's divorced from other truths that amplify it, say, Dave, what do you mean? Drum roll, please. Right on, we'll take that off. These are a bunch of books, but here's what I want to do. I want to show you that today, we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about the fact that you can know God, and also that God is a mystery. God can do what God wants to do. So yes, we can know God, but also God's going to be able to do what he wants to do. God is a mystery. We're never going to know everything all about God until we're face to face with him. And he is a mystery. There's a mysterious side of God, but we can know him. We can approach him. We can know God personally. God's not an idea. God's not, uh, uh, you know, the end of faith. God really is who we believe. We're believing in God, an actual person that we can know, that we can communicate to. He communicates to us with his word. He speaks to us in our hearts. We can know God, but he's also a mystery. Or maybe you know this. Maybe you've seen this happen. God has an ideal. He has an ideal. He has an ideal for how you should live your life. He has an ideal for the way that you should walk wisely. He has an ideal for your life and how you ought to live so that things go well with you. God has a picture of the right way to do things. But you have to realize that God also uses broken people. Right? People who didn't do it right. People who messed up. People who are in a broken condition, that does God have an ideal? Yes. Does God want us to shoot for that? Yes. But God also uses broken people. There's a tension to manage there, isn't there? Maybe you know somebody who, they grew up in the church and they, they learned that the Bible, it's all true. Everything is true in the Bible. And it is. It's all true. But you want to understand that, let me say this carefully, not everything true about life is in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us how airplanes fly. It doesn't tell us other things. There are certain things in the great disciplines of science and, and life that, that are not found just in the Bible. The Bible doesn't cover everything true about life. In fact, these truths in other areas about life amplify what's in the Bible. Not only that, you are going to realize that you can know God in a moment. You can know him like that. 
You come to faith in Christ, you simply receive him in your heart, you can know God in a moment, but it's going to take you forever to work and figure that out. There's a tension there. And sometimes people get in the forever and they're like, I don't know that I know Christ. And they want to go one way or the other and they begin to doubt, do I really believe? And they, they, they're not managing the tension between these two. Tension has to exist. Tension has to be there. And maybe somebody you know has walked away from the church because they just didn't know what to do with some of these tensions. I wish our world knew this. Your beliefs matter. They matter. But people matter more. If by your beliefs you mistreat people, then something's wrong with your beliefs. Right? We, our world is confused on this. They don't know what to do with this. It, they think it's all about my beliefs. And then they, they think if anybody doesn't think the same way and act the same way and walk the same way as I do, then they must be against us and they mistreat other people. Listen, it happens within religion and outside of religion. Your beliefs matter. People matter more. One of the tensions we'll look at over the next eight weeks is that you should enjoy church. You shouldn't come here and just not enjoy it and that you should love one another. You should love church. You should love responding to God and enjoying that so much that you can enjoy church, but you also, there's a tension here, can enjoy living in the world. You don't have to feel guilty for everything that you do that you might enjoy in the world, yet what you want to understand is we're not to love the world, we're not to fully pursue the world, we're to enjoy being the church in a world, but it doesn't mean that you have to walk destitute all the time. It means that you can enjoy both. There's a tension there that we need to manage. Your trust will make your faith grow stronger. Trust will make your faith grow stronger. But you need to realize, too, doubt will make your faith grow stronger, too. And people get caught right here, and they begin to go, I don't know, I started doubting. I started having questions. I wasn't so sure. And at that point, they said, well, I guess since I can't reconcile that I'm doubting a little bit, maybe I don't buy in to the fact that I trust Christ. And so I'm going to have to walk away from the church because I doubt. And sometimes we question ourselves so much when we experience doubt. But I want you to know that your trust can make your faith grow stronger, but doubt can also make your faith grow stronger. And last, we're going to talk about the reality that God is good. God is good. And yet he calls you and me to do good. God is good, and yet he calls you and I to do good. These are tensions. I want you to know that we need both sides of these things. Because each one of these things amplify the other. They reinforce the other, but our world gets crazy and world gets scared. And sometimes you get worried because you think, I don't know what I explain to my kids when they have good questions about science or whatever, how God fits into that. And where does the Bible fit and speak where science may speak in some other arenas? And how do we walk with that? And out of fear, we think it's got to be one or the other. And we see a whole world of people choosing just one over the other. It's a tension to manage. It's not a problem to be solved. Today I want to talk with you about the first tension, that you can know God, and God is a mystery. He can do whatever he wants to do. 
do you realize something? You don't know everything. I don't know everything. You want to know how I know? I know I don't know everything because I have kids. I have three boys. And they will remind me at times, you know, right, Dave, you don't know everything, and I, and I don't. Uh, but sometimes, let's be honest, if we're just being honest with ourselves, we think that we really already know what it means to know God. We think, I kind of have an idea on what that means to know God. In fact, if you're really being honest, you think that our ways of knowing God are better than other types of Christian worship. If you're just being honest. You might say, hey, I think we got the corner on that. But please realize there are things and dimensions about God that are so much higher than our thoughts and our ways. So yes, you can know God, but God is also a mystery. Francis Chan said it this way, if you try to take the wholesome knowledge of God, it would be like taking the Pacific Ocean and trying to cram it into a two-liter bottle. You just can't do it. We're limited. We're human. We're mortal. He's immortal. He's unlimited. He is almighty God. And you and I are being called, as we looked in our last series, to trust him. And yet trust doesn't mean blind trust. Trust means that we manage the tensions because these truths support one another. They actually give reference to one another. You can know God, and he's a mystery. So if you will open your Bibles with me to John chapter 9, we're going to see a time in Jesus' life when he and his disciples were walking down the road, and they come upon a man who was born blind. This guy from birth was born blind. Listen, he, he has no idea what color is. He has no idea what light is. This man was born blind. You couldn't explain colors to him. You couldn't make it make sense to his mind. His other senses are increased. His hearing is increased. His sense of touch and feel are increased. Why? Because of his blindness, he's compensated in other areas. But he can't do anything in that agricultural culture being a blind person. So he sits on the side of the road and he begs so that he can buy food and he can survive. And every day he goes out, he grabs his mat, he sits down on the side of the road, blind from birth. It's all he's ever known and he begs he's not a boy he's not a child this now is a man who's been blind since birth well the disciples come up and they're walking along they see this blind guy and the disciples lean over to jesus and they're like hey jesus got a question for you and he's like yeah and please understand when the disciples ask a question they're referring back to what they've heard. They're referring back to things they grew up with, to things they've heard from the religious leaders, the things they've heard from organized religion. And so they come to Jesus and they ask this, this theological question. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They want to know, why did this happen to this guy? They're thinking, we were born and we can see but what happened? Who sinned? Was it this guy? Did he like sin in the womb or what happened? Or was it his parents and then he's the consequence of his parents' sin? See, in Jesus' day, a lot of people bought into the idea that consequences to people, physical consequences, or great blessing was a sign of God intervention in a person's life. So to a person who was, had a disease or was blind, they would think God's favor was not on them. In fact, it was against them. But to a person who was rich, they would think, oh, that person is, totally has the favor of God. And they would look at their life and the course of their life and go, oh, they're blessed by God, but maybe they're just a good businessman or businesswoman. Maybe they're just blessed because other things haven't happened in their lives. Maybe they got an inheritance, right? But from the outside, people looking and judging on the outside 
They would say, oh, God's favor, look how blessed you are. And by the way, our culture buys into this all the time. Well, God's just blessed me so much. And you just talk about what you have or what you can do. And then we hear it, right? We buy into the idea that if things aren't going well, maybe God's against us. And so we begin to say things like, why is God punishing me? You think maybe it's I've done something wrong and God's punishing me and that's why these bad things are happening. Or you're going to basically just say, what did I do wrong? And we buy into the same theology, don't we? But these are common themes that the disciples would have heard in church growing up, common beliefs of the Jewish people, because for over 400 years now, they've gotten away from the teachings of the Old Testament. The Pharisees have made a book of laws that was above and beyond the scripture of over 3,000 additional laws that were the works of men called the mission, and they would demand the obedience of the people to those laws in addition to the Old Testament law. They were burdened down. They were weighted down with these false beliefs. They had tried to go all or nothing, and it was backfiring on the people of Israel. So they asked this question, Rabbi, who sinned? That he was born blind, his parents, or was it him? And see, let me be honest with you, all physical problems, in fact, all problems for that matter, are as the result of sinfulness. There weren't problems and there wasn't disease before sin entered the world. But sometimes it's sin, sometimes it's our own thing, sometimes it's the fact that we're just in a mortal life as an ultimate consequence of sin. So things like disease and natural disaster and our own sinful nature, that's part of the brokenness of humanity. But to blame a specific disability or disease or a disaster on a person's individual sin, well, we just don't have the knowledge to do that. That's not ours to judge. That's for the Lord to judge. But the disciples asked based, again, on what they heard in church and what they've heard in religious institutions growing up. So they asked Jesus this critical question. Was it this man's fault or was it his parents who sinned that he was born blind? And Jesus answers in John chapter 9 verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And after saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now you read this scripture, and you just need to remember that Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is God become human. He is the God-man, the only one that ever existed 100% God, 100% human. He is God in the flesh. And right there, he could have done anything to heal this man. So what does he do? I mean, in other cases with blind people, he touched them. With other cases with blind people, he spoke to them and their eyes were open. But in this instant, he, what Jesus does is he's just, he's just a real man. And I want you to realize that he just simply is there. The guy is blind. He hears the question because the disciples can't whisper right? So they say, who, who sinned? Was it him? And they're, they're probably asking the question loud enough that Jesus's answer might make some sense to this guy who's been born blind. So his hearing's really heightened, and all of a sudden Jesus says, neither, but so that my glory may be, and he goes, <laughs> spits on the ground, bends down, starts mixing it. And I don't know about you, think it for a minute. This is ancient Israel. Think 
think this is dry and dusty, little rain. This is like ancient Israel, like California has the same climate. Right now in the summer, it's dry, it's dusty. It takes a lot of spit to make mud. And the Bible says it made mud. He didn't say he made a little like, you know, like paste. No, it says he made mud. And I don't know, so Jesus is there and the blind guy's there and all of a sudden he hears on the ground, and Jesus is doing something, I don't know, it probably took a lot of spit, he might have even involved the disciples, hey guys, help me out, ding, you know, all sorts of other disciples just like, you know, spitting in there, let's get some mud going, we need some mud here to help this poor man out, and I think you guys sometimes, when you read the scriptures, you like minimize the humanity of the disciples, because the disciples are just real dudes, some of these guys are fishermen, they live outdoors, they camp out all the time, they rip ones, big ones, and they blame them on another guy, and that's just the way it is. They're just real dudes, but I think sometimes you think they walk around like, greetings thou blessed Jesus. We have a question for you, and that's not the reality. The reality is these are real guys, and I can just picture, picture with me for a minute. They ask the question, Jesus like neither, he spits on the ground, he starts making mud, and the disciples are elbowing, and then Jesus puts this spit mud on the guy's eyes, and you know Peter was like, he didn't see that one coming, and all the disciples groan like, oh, right? I mean, it's just, these are real dudes, they're like cracking up, are you kidding me? What is he doing? This is totally unexpected. What in the world is Jesus doing? Well, you need to realize that with God, you and I as well can expect the unexpected. With God, expect the unexpected. These were disciples who, who knew Jesus, and yet we watch along the, their life with Jesus that they know him so much more fully after his resurrection, and even deeper when the Holy Spirit comes upon them at Pentecost. But right now, they're getting to know Jesus, and they're finding out, wow, sometimes he can touch somebody, sometimes he speaks to it. He can even spit on the ground and make mud and put it on the guy's eyes, and he's not healed till he gets done washing. With God, expect the unexpected. One of the things I love so much is hearing the stories of people about how you came to believe in Jesus, because it's different for everybody. Like some people, it, it starts in their head and they start having this cognitive discussion that, okay, I'm hearing these things, I'm learning about these things, and they're saying, all right, this is making some logical sense to me, and it seems like the most practical way is to understand that Jesus and my life can go better if I follow him, and they make a cognitive decision. Other people, it's the heart. They realize the nature of God's love for them, and they're like, oh my goodness, and their heart responds to that. For some of us, it's in the pain, that the pain happens, and in the pain, we begin to work through stuff, and we realize that we've come to the end of ourselves when we reach to God. For other people, they feel incredibly blessed, but in the context of feeling incredibly blessed, they realize that God is reaching to them, and that Jesus is, in fact, God, and they make a decision at some point, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this decision. I'm going to say yes to Jesus, and they're going to pray and receive him. But I'm telling you, God can reveal himself to anyone through any means he wants. I have a friend who came back from a young adult, and he came back from a camping trip, and he didn't know God yet. He later did. But at the time, he came back, and he was flipping out. And I said, why were you flipping out? I wasn't on the trip. He said, we were on the trip, and we put this log in the fire, and the log kind of had a little Christian fish symbol on it. And like everything was burning except for that. What does it mean? I said, I don't know. I wasn't on the trip. But what I know is God's a mystery. And what I know is that you can know God. And you ought to pay attention when he's reaching to you. Because God wants to know you, too. I love hearing the stories. What I learn about hearing the stories from so many different people 
Because sometimes it's somebody stands on the stage and tells them the truth. Other times it's they're reading a Bible in a hotel room. Other times it's a friend talking to a friend. Other times it's in the community group. Other times it's a person driving by the church and they see the word hope and they say, I think I'll stop by and get some help for my life situation. It's different with everybody. God has full variety, just like he has variety in the people in this room when you look around. He's a God of diversity, and with him, he's a mystery, and he can reach you however he wants. Listen to him. You were blind once. See, you all can see. But one time you were blind spiritually, and now you can see. Pray that God opens the eyes of your friends and your coworkers and others to realize the love of Jesus extended to them. John chapter 9, we look at this story some more. So his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, nah, he only looks like the guy. But he himself insisted, I am the man. Now picture this for just a minute. This is your first hour of seeing. You've never seen before. You're like, ooh, colors. And you're like, wow, you're just looking around. You're just thinking this is amazing. And then the people who know you, that you're recognizing who they are because you hear them talk. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's that. Per- I didn't think they looked like that at all. And so all of a sudden he's like, no, 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 it's me. I'm the man. I'm the man. And he's all excited. He's all ADD in this moment. And he's like looking around. Wow, look, an eagle. You know, and he's like just looking around at all sorts of things. And then all of a sudden he's like, he's just talking. He's so excited. And they don't think it's him. And he's like, no, really, it's me. It's me. I'm the man, he says. And then he probably looks over there and he's like, wow. And Ruth is a lot hotter than she sounds. And then the people are like, oh, focus, focus, ADD, easy, focus, right? We're interviewing him. They want to know how this happened. So they say this, verse 10, how then were your eyes open, they asked. And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then... I could see. So he tells them the story, right? Then they asked one of the worst interview questions of all time. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Now, you've heard horrible interview questions, right? Typically, after sports, uh, interviews are pretty, you know, horrible questions. But the worst, the worst are when tragedy happens. Because reporters, they don't know what to ask. They don't know how to relate to people who are in the middle of tragedy, and, and all the answers are out there yet, so they're, they're reaching for something, for anything, and they ask horrible questions, but right here, this is not a tragedy, but this is a great moment, because the blind guy can now see, and they ask him this question, they're like, where's this guy? He's like, I just told you my story. He said, listen, I was blind, I went to wash, now I can see, but unless that same guy speaks, I don't have any idea to tell you who he is, to tell you where he is. He's like, listen, people, listen, I was blind. I'm not stupid. It's pretty much what he's saying. He's like, listen, this is, this, this is new. And, and then the people don't know what to do. They're like, ah, we don't know what to do with you. So they grab him, and they take him off to see the Pharisees. He had been healed, and so they got to go to the temple and have it registered, if you will, by the Pharisees. And they got to try to make sense of it. So the people of his town grab him. They take him up to the temple. He talked to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees right up front, when he says, this guy, some guy named Jesus healed me, they say, We know that this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. In other words, they said, today is the Sabbath day, and you got healed today, and apparently healing is way out of line with God's character, 
and it can't happen on Saturday for them. It would be Sunday now for us, but it can't happen on that. In fact, our book, the Mishnah, says that's too much work to be done on the Sabbath day. So we know that Jesus can't be God. That's their reasoning. And they don't believe the guy. So then they're like, well, let's get his parents here. Let's get some more testimony. So they bring him. Remember, the guy's a man. So his parents come, and they interview the parents, and they're like, yes, he was blind since birth. No, we don't know how he was healed. And then they get frustrated because the Pharisees at the time were saying, if you're going to follow Jesus, we kick you out of the temple. You're out. You're no longer welcome here. The parents were afraid of that. That's their church, right? So they were afraid. So they're like, well, well, we don't know. We don't know how he got healed. He's old enough. He's of age. Ask him. And so then the parents leave. So then the Pharisees get the blind guy back in there. We pick up at chapter 9, verse 24. A second time they summon the man who had been blind. And they say, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man is a sinner, speaking of Jesus. And he replied... Well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. He's being pretty straight up, right? Then they asked him, well, well what was it? What, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? He says, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple, we are disciples of Moses. And we know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, speaking of Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. And if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this, they then replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So here's this guy. He's been begging his whole life. He's blind, but now he can see the events as clear as day. But the Pharisees can't. And when they lose the intellectual argument, they do, the, they do what any of us would do. When you lose an intellectual argument and you're all frustrated and you're all mad, they pretty much end the, the intellectual argument by saying, oh yeah, well, well, shut up. And then they threw him out. That's what happened. And the guy was probably happy because he's like, good, thank you. In my first hour of seeing, I've been summoned twice to the Pharisees. I'm done with you guys. And he was happy to go on seeing. What I want you to understand is this, that you can know God, and yet God is a mystery. But if you're taking notes today in your outline, you need to understand that the song is in the tension. The song is in the tension. That you can know God, and he can also do whatever he wants to do. He's a mystery. But that's where the beauty is. That's where the song is. If I held up in front of me a guitar string right here, I, I would you know, hold it up and be like, oh, yeah, this thing makes beautiful music. But listen, without the tension and without the tension being right with all the other strings, there's no song. See, the song is not in the wood. The song is not in the body of the guitar. In reality, the song exists in the tension that the wood, the body of the guitar, and the strings have. There's a song in the tension. What I want you to realize is that between this and this, that there is a song in the tension. Where are we supposed to live as believers? We're just know to know to know that we can know God, and yet God is a mystery. We can know him, and yet he's a mystery. John chapter 9 
I love this about Jesus. Verse 35. Well, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, and I just love that picture, right? Jesus heals the guy. He's an important guy. He could go out and do a lot of other things, but he heard that the Pharisees had thrown out the guy. Probably a couple of Pharisees even showed up to tell Jesus, hey, we interviewed that guy. We threw him out. But Jesus found him. I love that. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man is the Old Testament title for the future coming Messiah to Israel. He said, do you know, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. Jesus right there lays it out. I am God. I am the Messiah. He claims it right there. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now I want to show you the progression that this man went through. The progression that this man went through is that he was begging. And he was begging, and then this man, his quote, this man named Jesus, just some guy. Well, is he this man Jesus? Well, yeah. And then he goes from being, well, he's this man Jesus. He tells the Pharisees, well, maybe he's, maybe he's a prophet. Well, is Jesus a prophet? Well, well, yeah. But now he comes face to face with Jesus, and he worships him. He worships him as the Savior, as God. He acknowledges who he is, and he doesn't just give him a big hug. He actually worships God right there. He understands that you are the long-awaited Messiah. You are the God-man. You are God become flesh, and he worships him. And that's a progression sometimes that you and I experience. Sometimes, yeah, he's, he's this guy called Jesus. Yeah. Well, maybe he was a good teacher. He's a good prophet. Yeah. But it's not. You don't know him. You do not know him until you acknowledge who he is and you begin to worship him. And Jesus says, listen, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Well, some Pharisees were with him, heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, the guilt remains. To the Pharisees all the time, he was saying, you are the blind leading the blind. You're the ones who are supposed to know me. You're the ones who are supposed to see. And yet you uh, put all these rules on the people and they're weighed down. They're burdened by all these rules you put on them. And you are the blind leading the blind. And even now they're like, we're the ones who know Moses. And they couldn't recognize God become flesh right in front of their very eyes. See, the Pharisees also couldn't reconcile that love doesn't mute the law, it amplifies it. Are we to have Sabbath and margin in our lives? Yes. But that Jesus healed on the Sabbath didn't mute the law, it actually amplified the love of God. That just like a Sabbath restores the human so that we can work six other days, the Sabbath restores us so that we can reflect on the Lord, the Sabbath gives us ability to run the marathon, not just the sprint, that God wants us to have rest in our lives. It doesn't mute his love. His love, his healing of this man was an illustration of what the Sabbath can do in your life and mine. You can know God. And God's also a mystery. Don't take that away from him. Some of you have put God in a theological box. You've taken the mystery and all that God is and you've put him in a tight, theological package 
And for some of you, it's almost like taking you know, the immensity of God and you've, you've reasoned him down to human limitations and, and to human reasoning and you've put God in a box. And, and listen, if God were to act or work or move outside of that box, all of a sudden you would have the biggest barrier in your life to truly knowing who he is because your pride about your theological box would be at stake. Listen, the scriptures say that in the end times, old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. What happens when our young men start seeing visions and our old men start dreaming dreams? What happens to your theological box when you think sign gifts have ceased? What happens when God doesn't heal everybody, but he does for one what we wish we could do for everyone like he did here? What happens to your theological box then? Listen, you can know God, but God is also a mystery and do not take that away from him. Because your own beliefs, your own self will become the biggest barrier to knowing God personally. I want to show you something. Take that rubber band out for just a minute. I want you to realize that between these two things, that this is a tension to manage. It's not a problem to be solved. These are tensions to manage that need to exist. They're not problems to be solved. What happens if you go with all of like, the truth about science and life and you ignore the Bible? You've just lost all the power. You've lost all the influence in your life. What happens if you try to go all the Bible and say the Bible explains everything about everything about everything about life? Well, suddenly there's a truth in life that's true mathematically. There's a truth in life true scientifically, and it will take it away. What happens if we're to manage it? We filter the truth of the world through the scriptures. It's a tension to manage, not a problem to be solved. What happens when you have beliefs, but because of your beliefs, you can't love somebody? Oh, you've just lost all the power of your beliefs. You can't love someone that Jesus would love because your beliefs make that hard for you to reach out to that person. You lose all the power. Tension. It's tension. Paul said it this way. He wants us to know God. He said it this way in Colossians 2, verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. What's he saying? He's saying you can know God. And God's a mystery. And so often we will believe in God and we'll spend the rest of our lives just figuring out what a great God he is, what a mystery at times he is, how his love is greater than what we would extend to each other. His ways are higher than our ways. His reasoning is greater. That he is a big, big God. His abilities are limitless. And as we walk through the tragedies and the hardships of life, we say, sin is real. This life is broken. But there's a God who loved me enough to come to earth and to give his life so that I could go to a place where there is no more pain and no more sorrow and no more suffering and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The old order of things is gone. We say, thank you, God, for making right. The thing I love the most about heaven is not that we get new bodies. It's not that we'll get to have reconciliation with other people. The thing that I love about heaven is that the tension is gone. The tension of life is gone. That we know God fully just as we are fully known. That God is now known. That we are part of the mystery. That we got included in it. What a beautiful picture. 
And yes, those other things are added perks, but that we would know the God and see him face to face and know who he is. Will you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. The way that you first encounter God is you simply pray to him and talk to him and say, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to give you my faith. It's something I give to you. I put faith in that what you did on the cross was done for me. And I'm going to ask you to forgive me of my sins. And believers in the room, listen, when you encounter God, you did that the first time. But every day we want you to encounter God. That you get in his word and you know him more and more. Don't think you've arrived. Don't think you have it all down. Don't you think, I read the Bible once, that's good enough. You need to know and keep knowing, ongoingly knowing him every day. And maybe even right now, you just need to be honest with God and say, God, I've, I've relaxed. I've gotten away from the discipline of speaking to you and listening in your word to you and listening to you in my heart. Maybe you're just honest about that, but there's others in the room that you're saying, today's the day. I'm going to do it. I'm going to give Jesus my faith. I'm going to give him my life. I'm going to receive the forgiveness of all my sin. I'm going to be made washed as white as snow. And if that's you, if you want that today, then right where you're seated, you just pray this. Jesus, today I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.